So since you're the first guest on this podcast, um, I'm not really sure how to open yet. So I'm just going to say um, hello, people. Thanks for tuning in. The The whole goal of this show um, is to convey sincerity and things that are important to me, um, which currently are sobriety, and then sharing what I think are impactful stories or just um, good human beings that I, I feel people need to hear more from. Um, so welcome to Chris and, and today we have Sarah. Thank you. Hey, Sarah. So my little, my little <laughs> preparation is um, Nana Buju is a greeting from Anishinaabe language, and it basically means greeting. There isn't, it doesn't say hello or anything like that. Okay. And then I said, my name is Sarah Colford. I am a Finnish Native American. I am a mom, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a niece, granddaughter, cousin, friend, educator, advocate, lover, and I'm a survivor. Wow. I mean, I feel like this should be your show instead of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for being willing to to come on this. Absolutely. So the, the connection that we have, um, we went to high school together, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to remember, were you 02? I was, yes. Okay. Um, so the, and what we were talking about before was the, how you were captain of the cheerleading squad. Mm -hmm. And that was like my introduction to you, um, which was like confident, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> and, yeah. And just like, there's no time for, for bullshit mm -hmm. and, uh, and disrespect because you had to work hard to, to get to where you were at. And I mean, that, it, it's just crazy. The environment that we grew up in uh -huh. and then the perspective that we thought we had. Right. Like, which was like, you know what? It actually is. It's a good school system. Uh -huh. And then all of this shit that keeps happening in these schools. And you're like, man, maybe <laughs> as soon as you guys are about to hit high school, we'll do something different because right. it's just, it's so, so bananas. But beyond that, I, I want to talk about your story. Um, and you brought a photo today, mm -hmm. which is going to be a theme for the show is that every guest is going to be bringing on, uh, their favorite childhood photo or family photo and you have a wonderfully adorable <laughs> full-size eight by ten which right. is fantastic Thanks, mom <laughs> so why did you pick this photo you know there was another photo that i searched for hours for um but i couldn't find um so i was like mom i need a photo i you know i don't have i have one of us picking our nose but <laughs> i don't really want to do that one um i feel this one shows innocence and because of some of the experiences that I had in my life, um, for a long time, I didn't feel that. For a long time that I, que I questioned whether I was a good person or I was doing good things. And even now, I still go, hmm, am I making the right choices? Am I, did I make a mistake? Do I need to own up to it? So I feel like this at two years old, I would freaking hope that it looks innocent. I have a smile on my face. Um, my mom dressed me up in an ugly dress and made me take a picture. So I was um, going to say, you look like, like a porcelain doll, like those <laughs> <right>? awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely, um, you know, we loved dress up and, um, 
I was probably one of the easiest ones that allowed her just to do anything with <laughs> my younger sister. She would not like she did not do that willingly. <laughs> Unfortunately, that child will haunt somebody at some point. Mm. They'll make a movie out of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, so what um, native and Finnish, you said? Yes. Yeah, so my mom is Finnish and my dad is native. And so the amount of native that we are registered is really questionable because um, half of our native is Canadian native because uh. our reservation's in North Dakota. So Turtle Mountain is the reservation that we're registered oh, to. Wow. But my dad actually, my grandma went shopping in Canada and had my dad in Canada. Um, <laughs> so that's not why our native is half and half. But um, so I, the amount of native that we are is kind of unknown. I always feel like my spirit is more native than it would be Finnish, but who knows? Because back when you had to register, it wasn't cool. So we had ancestors or great, great, great grandmas that lied about how native they were. So they wouldn't have to live the hellish lives of boarding schools and that oh, kind of wow. stuff. So when they registered, um, they lied because they didn't want to have to be put in those situations. So unless we do a DNA test, which I don't know that I really need to do that. Um, I don't know exactly what I am. So I that always fascinating though. claim I, Finnish Native American. So, I mean, that that truly is fascinating. So the I didn't realize that they had to register at any point. I, You know, my parents have told me the story time and time again. I don't remember the timeline, but I do remember um, there was a certain, like you had, if you wanted, well, that, the first question people ask me when I say I'm Native is, do you reap the benefits of being Native? And I was like, what? well, that's a really interesting question. Are you asking if I get money? Because no, my reservation is super poor. And like, no, there isn't. My dad just won actually a settlement for being Native and it was $1,000. So... I was like, well, you're going to split that five ways, right? Because we're all native too. And he didn't. <laughs> but like, that's how much, I mean, my dad's been alive for 61 years almost. And he got $1,000. <laughs> I shot a wedding uh, for a lady who um, is, uh, I forget what the what the term is, but she was a lawyer for Native Americans. Okay. And the we, we got to talk a little bit and... Yeah, she was saying that the stuff that most tribes are fighting for um, or communities are fighting for is not these large sums of right. money. It's like to be able to have uh, some sense of normalcy. Mm -hmm. Suicide rates are super high. Oh, my good. Drug addiction issues. Huge. Trafficking is the oh, wow. highest population of people being trafficked is native. 30%. It's Jesus. higher than any other population. And that is just, you know, damning. I mean, that is crazy to know those statistics. It is ridiculous. Yeah. I I have never met like any, as shitty as this sounds, I've never met like a wealthy native right. person. Mm -hmm. And that alone should tell you like, <laughs> there's this, this fucking fantasized, um, is that uh, eroticized? L like concept of oh, Native I see Americans. What you're saying. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like 
having all of this money because Mm -hmm. of casinos and stuff. Right. But there are some people I have, and it's based on how much native you are registered. And so again, we go back to 50% of the native is Canadian native, which the U S does not acknowledge. So only 50% of the native that's in me is us native. So that's the only part that they acknowledge. But I know, you know, Unfortunately, we found out much too late that we are enough native where I could have gone to school at U of M Morris for free. Um, I didn't find that out until like my younger cousins were going to college and they did more digging. But our children are the last generation that will be able to also have that opportunity, which is pretty. I was like, my boys are like, Mom, I want to go to school. U of M Morris. I don't care. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. You're going to U of M Morris undergrad when you go to grad school. You can choose because you're paying. I'll pay for you of Morris. <laughs> so, yeah, it is. It's really interesting, though, because I have a friend whose son, I don't know what tribe he's from, but somewhere down in the cities. And they like he gets thousands and thousands of like tens of thousands of dollars a year and is going to a private school for free. And his reservation is covering that. And I was like, Oh, how do we pick and choose which reservations we get? I was going to say, that's the first I've ever yeah. heard of. It's so rare. It's right. So rare. I know. It's like it saying is... I have a friend whose dad invented Pop-Tarts or some shit. Like, right. It happens, but it's it yeah so rare. <laughs> right. And how do you, like, how do you tap into that? Because, you know, it is, it's, it's kind of crazy to, you know, I don't know. It's, but yeah, my reservation is not a wealthy one. It is not connected to anything casino related or anything like that, which I'm assuming that's where a lot of the reservations that do have more wealth get it from is they bring in a lot of revenue or, you know, sorry, we didn't keep this treaty. Here's some money, (laughs) you know, how, cause how many casinos are there in Minnesota? Like four? Oh, let's see. Fortune Bay is way up north. There's Malax. There's Mystic. And then there's another one. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, maybe four. Like something like four. Yeah. If you, if you were to <laughs> like if you were to say, OK, an entire population's income is going to be based on four mm-hmm. like businesses. Hearing that out loud, I hope like people understand how insane that sounds. Right, it's such a fucked up thing to think about. Mm-hmm. I, just so dumb. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> that's a whole <laughs> podcast in its own. Is talking about because I don't necessarily understand a lot of it. Just because. So kind of when we, I grew up on an Air Force base. So I grew up in North Dakota, Grand Forks Air Force Base first 11 years of my life and oh, wow. loved it because there was so much going on because there was like, it was very diverse and it was just everything within this small community. And even though some stuff happened while I was on the air force base, like I appreciated having that experience of growing up in that. So when we moved to this small farming community <laughs> in 1995, um, I remember being like, um, mom and dad, there's something missing here. And they're like, well, what's missing? And I said, where are the rest of the people? And they're like, what do you mean? Where are the rest? I'm like, there are only white people here. Where are the rest of the people? And because I never knew that there was, you know, 
I ah. thought everything was diverse. So I come into this culture shock and go, hmm, I, um, okay, well, let's work with this. And so I was 11 years old and I, we moved in like end of July, August. So starting school, I didn't really have any friends. I had, well, I would, I had like two friends and, um, I was, I don't know if I could say flamboyant, maybe, I think I've always been a little bit, ah, just take me as I am, not, oh, sure, not sure. very quiet or reserved. Um, extroverted. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is really crazy because now I'm like, don't talk to me, just text me. <laughs> I've started to be, that's oh crazy. Our stories are actually insanely similar. Yeah. Like when I moved here, two friends. I went yeah. from being my best friend was the most popular kid in school and then we came here and nobody wanted anything to do with us. Right. Well, I always, um, I always thought you guys were super cool. So <laughs> I just, just throwing that out there. But so very quickly when we started school, I realized that, um, I was not received well either. And, um, people called us colored. That My I nickname still... was stupid tomahawk bitch. <laughs> Eleven. 11. And I was like, okay, well, I get it. I said, but I'm, I'm also white. I, I have some finish in me. Did you guys like some lutefisk? Right. I was like, <laughs> pasties, anyone? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Different from pasties. <laughs> one's a food, one's not, I guess. Um, one I wear when I go running. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so like my goal in life, then I was like, I need to be more white. I'm going to, I'm white. And it's really funny to like, even I would say all the way through high school, all even into college, it wasn't until like my diversity class where we had to identify the first time that we recognized race that like we all sobbed through our stories and explained yeah. that. So they're like, you need to pick the time when you realized race was something. And I was like, okay, well, um, my deep, dark secret is I'm not white. I'm actually Native American. And I said, and this is why um, I'm like, I've been lying to myself for the last nine years saying I'm white. I'm Caucasian. I'd fill that out on every application. And I'm like, inside, I died a little because yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm not white. I'm very proud to be Native. I mean, I do have white in me. I'm very fair skinned, but I'm like, I've always identified closer with the native side of me and just how my spirit feels. I identify with a lot more native things than I do white things. But, you know, kind of to back up a little bit too is at 11, I already had such a heavy life. Yeah. And I, so I just wanted to be normal. And which is really sad to admit as a, how old am I? I'm 37. I, you know what? Sometimes I have to do the math. It's so funny. I, I used <sighs> to laugh at that process, but I'll say that I'm 33. And right. Kim will be like 34. Right. Well, I, for the longest time, I'm like, I'm 20, 30, oh, I'm like, oh my God. No, I mean, I'm 37. I don't care. Numbers and age or age is a number. That's the right way. And I'm like, you feel how you feel. And yeah. I was like, I don't feel like I'm almost 40, but I am. And, um, but so at 11, I was just trying to, I wanted to be normal. I wanted to not stick out. I wanted to be like everybody else. 
because I was holding on to all this stuff that I didn't know what to do with. Mm. Because my first experience with sexual violence was when I was five. And for a long time, I actually, for 19 and a half years, I repressed those memories. And that doesn't mean I didn't remember. That means I knew something had happened, but I couldn't, I didn't know what. Within my spirit, I knew that something wrong had happened, but I couldn't identify it. Mm. And one night, 19 and a half years later, um, I was with my husband and he put his hand on my leg and I went, oh my gosh. And I had flashback after flashback. And then I'd come out for a second and be like, take me to the psych ward. I'm going crazy. I need, I need something. And then I'd go back into a flashback and I relived everything. And the next day I I texted my parents and like, I need to talk to you. And they're like, what's wrong? What's going on? I'm coming over right now. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to come to you. I just, I would like to sit down and talk to you about something. And my mom goes, there's something wrong. I know there's something wrong. And I'm like, I got this. (laughs) So I went over there and I was like, does this name ring a bell to you? And they're like, yeah, that was, they were friends of ours. And I'm like, and they had a daughter, right? Yeah. Yep. Her name was Sarah as well. And I was like, how many times would I have gone over to their house? And she's like, why? And I was like, well, you know, I said last night was kind of a tough night and I kind of explained what was going on. I kind of gave them a brief of what I remembered without, you know, hurting them because, you know, Hearing something like that, I can't imagine what a parent would feel, you know, especially, you know, fast forwarding into other parts of my life that, you know, because it didn't just happen once, it happened multiple times. And um, she was like, well, maybe five times. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense because in my memory, like there were different, it would have been different times. And For them, it was really like it was they were grateful because my mom had known that I had questioned for so many years, almost to the point of making myself feel like I was going out of my mind because I was like, was it you? Was it you? Could you have done this to me? And just really trying to figure out, you know, what happened? Who did it? Am I thinking of these weird things like Mm. Who knows? Like, it was really hard to question. And then it became very clear after my evening of flashbacks. And it's so weird because it wasn't, I mean, we were literally laying in bed watching TV and bam, Mm. that triggered, that triggered it. What if it was the hand on the knee? Oh, with your husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but I was like, for me, I'm like, it lifted a huge weight off my shoulders. And then for my parents, they're like, I'm glad, but now we feel like shit. Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I ask, um, did the, the person that assaulted you, mm-hmm. was it your friend or was it an adult? It was an adult. It okay. was her father. And he actually <clears throat> made us because we were really like, she was probably my best friend at that age. Mm-hmm. He made us do things and then he would, so she was involved too. And so I have, kind of this inner battle since remembering exactly what went on where do I find her? Do I try to reach? Am I going to bring stuff up from when we were five? That's going to, 
or did she live a life of hell? Is she even alive? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, living on an Air Force base, you kind of understand that they're your friends for right now. But, you know, they might move tomorrow because right. they might get orders and they might change. And so, you know, those friends that I had, you know, it's kind of weird because one of my friends moved to St. Cloud. Um, so it, you know, when I was in high school, I got to reconnect with her, but, um, this other girl, this Sarah, um, I, you know, I put out tobacco in the morning for her and kind of say a little prayer and just say, you know, wherever you are, I hope you are well, because I, you know, I was like, would it be selfish to me to reach out to her? Would it help her? Is it going to solve any of her problems? And ultimately, I've decided to not because it's so how tough. hard it was for me to yeah. do those flashbacks. If she also repressed those memories, why would I want to bring that back? Well, and you have no idea how long it went on for her. Right. If, if you know, it becomes because unfortunately, it's a it's a pattern. It's mm-hmm. in, uh, it's yeah, just awful. Yeah. So you know that was. That was one of the big things that I was like, okay, you know, we need to move past all this. I want to just be normal. Um, But then I also had this kind of really unhealthy understanding of what sexual contact was. Mm. Because, you know, nobody wants to talk to their kids about sex. Right. Except for me. I, um, my kids know a lot about it because it's very important to me. Um, I mean, down to like my very first memory in life is I was two and a half. My parents taught us front butt and back butt. (laughs) And it, front butt is my favorite thing I in know. the world. It's it's such a funny. Uh, I, I heard it for the first time from like a five year old kid. Yeah. Uh, she said, "Dad, I I farted and it went up my front butt." Oh. And I laughed so hard. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it came back to bite my parents in the well, my dad in the front butt. <laughs> I suppose. Um, so we are in Winnipeg, and I'm. You know, we're hanging out. I'm riding down the elevator with my dad and some random dude. And I just remember being so confused because I'm looking up at this guy and I look back at my dad and look up at this guy and I'm yanking at my dad. I'm like, Dad, this guy has poop in his front butt. (laughs) And I grabbed it. (laughs) My parents used to think bringing that story out in front of boys was like, oh, it's going to embarrass you. And I was like, do you realize? you're doing here like maybe that's not I'm and now as like an educator and an educator of parents of you know working with advocacy stuff I was like learn from my parents Uh, if you don't call your elbow something other than an elbow why would you call your penis anything other than a penis uh, or a vagina you know like my kids we literally did the varsity blues penis 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 vagina 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 (laughs) I was like say it um my son funny story so when when he was just getting to say vagina probably much younger than most people we were at Target and this lady's like oh you're so cute oh you're you're just chubby cheeks and he goes vagina (laughs) and she goes you want a banana and I know what he's saying so he's going no he's shaking his head and he goes no vagina and she goes banana oh here here he goes no vagina and I was like lady he's saying vagina walk away so I mean it could bite you in the butt any either way you know you teach them too much and then they share with everybody or yeah. invite the target cashier to our vagina party 
you know. <laughs> so I guess either way, you just, you know. So let's go back yeah, to okay. kind of this this history of mm-hmm. um, unfortunate events. Yes. Um, so the so you you knew something was mm-hmm. off at kind of a younger age. Yes. Um, and then the next time that it had happened, mm-hmm. did it remind you of that other event? Or did it feel like, did each time feel like its own separate thing? Or did it start to feel like, is this like my, my future? Destiny. Yeah. Right. Um, so I would say each time taught me that sexual contact was not something that was, that was something that was done to me, not with me. Wow. And so, you know, it's interesting that you say that I was, you know, confident in high school because- I don't, I don't think I was confident about some things, but there were so many things that I was not confident about. Like, um, any type of contact with two people was not something that I was really, I knew anything about because I was never taught any of that. And so, you know, it's interesting because like boyfriends that I had, which weren't many, but, um, like, I was a prude, but I had a boyfriend who wanted to have sex with me at 16. And I was so scared because I was like, okay, is it, is that how it's going to happen? Is this like, it's going to be this way? No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, be in that situation. And, you know, unfortunately, if you're not having sex, you don't, you're not very popular at that age because popularity is, Ooh, I can go all the way with this one. And people got the wrong idea about me because I mean, okay. So spice girls, let's just throw that out there. (laughs) I was posh spice all through middle school, high school, probably still am a little. Um, so I liked to express myself that way. And I remember like, when I would leave for school, I'd roll my skirt up a little bit. So it was just short enough so I could feel comfortable. Uh-huh. And that made people think that sex would be a thing. And I'm like, no, I'm so scared of that. Like, let's not even talk about that. And I was like, I'm not having sex till I'm married. I actually cried when my older sister told me she lost her virginity. Because I was like, oh my God, why would you do that? Because again, remember right. what I had been taught about sex. And so in my head, I'm like, that's a horrible, scary thing. Don't ever do it. Mm. And so, you know, even I had a friend who had a baby in high school and I was like, really, you would do that? Why would you do that? That doesn't even sound like that's not not the baby part, but the sex part. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And so like I was like, why are people even wanting to do this? And so that really hung with me even so even into adulthood, I would say, um, when I was 21, I was sexually assaulted another time. And at that point I was like, well, shit, like I'm never doing this. Like, this is not something that I want to do. And I was like, how does this, like, how does this happen to somebody and keep happening? And, you know, I started learning about statistics and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, um, because, you know, I'm the strong woman. I was like, I don't need help. I got this on my own. I've done this before. I'm going to 
rise above this. And the next weekend after I was assaulted at 21, which happened on May 13th, Friday the 13th, um, which is what the nurse told me when I went to have my rape kit done at the hospital. And I was like, well, thank you. Why was that necessary? (laughs) I was like, thanks for ruining that day. It could have been a fun day for the rest of my life. Um, But I met um, a person the weekend after I was assaulted. Um, I had no business going to the bar. I had no business drinking. Um, But I did because, you know, I'm okay. I got this. I met my trafficker that weekend. Um, And he was... (sighs) The problem with trafficking and the misconceptions behind it is people think taken like you are kidnapped and you are taken to Thailand and you are trafficked. The rude truth is I was trafficked in St. Cloud. I was just going to ask that. St. Cloud. So over the last like six months, Uh I've been learning because I have so many friends that work at the red carpet Mm -hmm. that talk about they can spot traffickers. And the like the notion that it's so prevalent that you can spot them now mm-hmm. is terrifying, isn't it? It I, is so. It's right there. Saint Cloud is right fucking there. And it is the now the largest hub in Minnesota for trafficking. <sighs> so not even the cities. So when people say it doesn't happen in my community, I'm like, actually, <laughs> someone bought rape for me in your community. Have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and so even like people are like, well, how does that work if you because I lived in my own apartment, I was a full time college student, like I worked a normal job and they're like, well, how did they force you to do jobs if you were your own person? And I was like, that's where manipulation comes in. That's where, you know. He knew when he met me, he knew where I was at in my life. He knew that, again, I had been raised to think sex was done to me, not with me. He saw that and ran with it. And I don't exactly remember how long it was after I met him before he started making me do jobs or doing things. And at first I was like, well, you know, because it was hot and heavy with him. Like he was, he said all the right things. I'm, you know, cause I was like, nope, I just can't. I'm like, I'm not interested in anything right now. I kind of had a situation last weekend. I, you know, I, I just need to cool it. And he, you know, I'm going to keep you safe. This will never happen to you ever again. And like, he said all of the right things to make me go, Oh my God, you are a good person. You do just care about me so much. And so, that relation, that bond and that relationship was so strong and so overtaking immediately that it was like, I look back now and go, how? I don't, maybe I don't even understand how that happened. Um, Another common misconception about um, the difference between people who are in the sex trade and being trafficked. um, I always like to tell people that a person being trafficked has a third party, which is the trafficker. So if a person is saying, I'm in the sex field, I, you know, I'm a sex worker, I do my own things, that is technically, you know, there isn't a person who's saying, okay, here's your job today. You meet here, do this. So they're doing it of their own free will. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, 
you know, over the years kind of developed, I'm like, why would anybody do this of their own free will? Empowerment. I, you know, and I always like to go do back this of their own free will in the sense, in the sex trade, in the sex, like have a, okay. be a sex worker gotcha. of their own free will. Like, because some people are like, this is empowering to me. I feel very empowered that I can say you're paying me to do this. And I like to go back to like some people that have left the life or left, um, the sex trade and, looking at their autobiographies, one really powerful one is Jenna Jameson Mm. and kind of looking because she was one that when she was a sex worker, she was like, this is empowering. This is my choice. I have the power to say yes and no. I do what I want. In reality, she grew up and had a life of sexual trauma. And I feel like that's how it's so easy to fall into things that we may not be aware of, or my parents didn't raise me to be trafficked. You know, those are the things that I've asked myself so many times because my parents didn't raise me to be trafficked. However, shit happened. I was caught in a situation and, you know, the mentality of, well, if it's going to happen anyways, I might as well get paid. I didn't even get paid. I would get my hair done and nails and he stole money from me. So I hustled my ass off to get through college and work a job. And he stole my money. And I was like, how is this working out here? Like, what is this? And so like the manipulation is so deep that I know people are not going to understand how, how it happened or how I allow, why don't you just not show up? And my answer is, is, threats (laughs) threats <laughs> I was gonna say you know the, <clears throat> these are not nice people they're not no you're it's not, scared it's not like you you get to trick them out of not working and they right. go ah you got me yeah yeah if, and, if they don't act on it they know people who will act on it right Ugh. and the threat of rape like even though I look at a trafficker as selling rape mm-hmm. so people are buying rape when you buy from a trafficker because if they're willing in the moment, are they really willing? Right. Like, and a lot of drugs and alcohol were used at that point. I just, was going to ask that too. So mm-hmm. did, did he use substance to? Absolutely. Okay. To keep me complacent. Absolutely. And honestly, I did it willingly somewhat too, because I didn't want to feel. Right. I didn't yep. want to feel that this sexual assault just occurred and I didn't want to feel or be coherent to know what was going on. So, and I would, I would say that I was functioning and I use quotes because I, I wasn't, that was a very unhealthy time in my life. I was functioning as best as I could in the very beginning. And then towards the end of the year, I was just a mess. I was like, how do people ask for refunds? Like, I mean, I was, it, it got real bad. And you know, it, I was like, you know, and at what point does your trafficker say, oh, you're no good to me here. I want to kill you because the reality too, some more statistics, because I love them is the reality of a person leaving the life is very similar to a person leaving a domestically violent situation. And typically it takes seven times of leaving, come back, leaving, come back, leaving, come back before you actually leave. And a lot of times people that are being trafficked, don't make it to that seventh time because the average lifespan is 
four to seven years of a person that's being trafficked. Because, I mean, the way that I was going, I don't know how I would have lived much longer, whether it would have been of my my will or um, I just got too sloppy and he took care of me. Oh, wow. So um, kind of an interesting part of it is I found out I was pregnant and um, I can't be like, this can't happen. Like, I don't, I'm not at a place where I can have a baby. I'm in college and I'm kind of living this crazy life. And I kind of sat down and I was like, you know what? Nope, this needed to happen. And I was like, I need to be done. I need to be done with this. I'm like, I have a baby coming now. Like, and the harsh reality is I would have no clue who got me pregnant. And that's the tough part is it was yeah. like, um, you know, I guess it could be a number of people because I was pretty busy for a year. And um, I'm, I'm curious if in that situation, is that almost better? Because if you did have to associate somebody with because they are paying for rape. Why would I want yeah. to have a baby with someone who paid to rape me? Exactly. And maybe I didn't think it, think about it that way in the moment. But I also was like, holy cow, I'm drinking a lot. I'm using substances that I probably don't even know what some of them are. And so I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm having this baby. Great. So I ended up um, being called for a job and I met my trafficker at the press bar and we were upstairs and I was like, listen, I'm out. I, I can't do this anymore. I need to get straight. I need to work on my life. I failed out a year. Like I failed most of my classes that year in college because I don't know if I was sober ever. And so I was like, you know, I wasn't going to tell him I'm pregnant because I didn't want I had made the decision that I'm having this baby and I was like, I didn't want him to hurt me or hurt the baby or force me to have an abortion or anything like that. I was like, you know what, this is what needed to happen to kind of get me out of that and get me, you know, Oh, open my eyes, I guess. It was also a double-edged sword because my grandma always told everyone that I would be the first good girl pregnant, not married. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I lived up to my potential. But, um, you know, I was like, and he's like, no, you know, I own you. You have this job. You need to go there. And I was like, bye, Felicia. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'll go check myself into the hospital and like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just don't contact me ever again. And, um, I, um, went to go walk away from him. I walked to the big, huge stairwell and he kicked me down. He gave me one great shove and I went tumbling down the stairs and the bouncer was like, Oh, I better do it. And I'm like, Nope. If I can get up and walk away, that's it. I don't want you to do anything. I fell. It was my fault. Nobody pushed me. I'm clumsy. If that is all I had to deal with for leaving him, I counted my blessings. <clears throat> so I was like, you know, I'm alive. 
I can walk. I'm sore. But I, and I was worried. I'm like, did something happen to my baby? Like, is that, is it okay? Is it, you know, whatever. And I, it, everything was okay. Um, I did end up losing that pregnancy probably about, I think it was like a month after, but I had separated myself enough and I went back and started getting help from the sexual assault center. I was working with a sexual assault advocate and, um, just trying to get my life back. I was like, I've done things in the last year that people don't do. And I remember, I remember keep going back to the statement. My parents did not raise me to be this person. I'm like, I am not the person my parents raised. So when you say that you're saying that, um, you had, that was motivation for you to have higher expectations yeah. for yourself. I gotcha. Yeah. I was like, you know, and not holding that shame and blame for my, which one of the greatest things that I do to myself is shame and blame. Mm. It is so easy to fall into that and, you know, go, well, when I was five years old, I do remember, um, actually sitting on the bed waiting for him, kind of excited about what was coming. And so those like that kind of stuff was like, mm, it's confusing, but I was five and an adult man was having sexual contact with me. So like, you know, and I've, I've now, I've actually started and stopped therapy so many times because the point where I feel like someone's judging, I can't, I'm done. Oh, right. I'm done. I actually, um, so I had weight loss surgery in 2019. And so before you have weight loss surgery, they do a like psych testing. And that's when I actually found out that I have um, autism. I actually have autism, really? which is shocking that my boys both have it. Um, but so I have autism. I have ADHD, which is not a shock, but um, and then also like PTSD and anxiety that I I are my struggles. And it explains a lot from my lifetime, just kind of the things that people are like, you're so rude sometimes. And I'm like, oh, because I didn't catch that. And or I'll say something. And that makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. It makes and, you know, it through trials and tribulations of life. I've had to learn the hard way that some of my struggles and some of the things that people don't understand about me by losing people, people that are very close to me. And that's the unfortunate part, but I can't look back at that because I just have to keep looking forward. Yeah. If I keep looking back, then it's going to eat me out alive. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing about the spectrum is like people don't, people have that stereotypical where they think it's going to be very apparent mm-hmm. right away. I've shot, three weddings where the groom was autistic and I would have never known. Right. My younger brother is on the spectrum. Okay. And yeah, again, you'd never know. Right. His only thing that he falls like uh, back on is like debate or argumentative stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just because that's how he learned proper um, uh, interaction. Right. Was because up until he was... Uh, three or four he couldn't formulate his own sentences he could only quote tv so he would try to use a quote from what he had seen on tv for a situation Mm -hmm. and you could just i i remember like shaking him one day because i I mean i was you know 10 or 9 or whatever Mm -hmm. and being like what what do you want right and he just couldn't come up with it right and somehow through 
argumentative mm-hmm. conversations, that's how he learned to formulate his own stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. It, and it's very, people have a hard time acknowledging autism in women. And I was like, yeah, it's not, uh, I mean, everyone can have autism. Yeah. And we always talk about my husband potentially being on the spectrum as well. He's never had testing to have it confirmed, but I mean, we're all kind of socially awkward and (laughs) that's just one of our great things. And a story is sticking out of my head um, about my son, um, my oldest, just kind of a picture into his head um, is he, we were driving and he's like, Oh mom, I think I'm getting vehicle illness. (laughs) I was like, vehicle illness. You mean car sickness? Oh yeah. Yeah. That too. And I was like, vehicle illness. I'm like, can you talk like an 11 year old, please? I'm like, you don't have to talk. You know, you're smart. And I love that about you. But I was like, just talk like a kid. Say fuck again or something. I don't know. Like, just (laughs) please. (laughs) And that's like that. Like, I give that as an example for people who are like, no, your kids don't have autism. It's or it's fake autism. I've been told that by a family member. And I was like, fake autism. You pay my five thousand dollar bill that I had to have a neural psych (laughs) test done on him. Like. It's not fake autism. Yeah, it's my a brother went through. I mean, um, God, I forget what the the center was called. Um, Frazier. Was it Frazier or Mac? It was in St. Cloud or White Park, rather. Um, it was kind of in this little strip, hmm. and I remember he had to go. There used to be commercials for this place all the time, um, but he he had to go there every week for. Mm-hmm years Mm -hmm. and that was another part of like yeah i mean nobody i can't imagine why somebody would want to fake that type of struggle Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah or when people say (laughs) they're just being naughty oh my just beat your kid i'm like i can't beat the autism out i've tried (laughs) i have tried i have tried (sighs) tried which no i have not beat my kids cps (laughs) and i I'm a firm believer I don't use spanking as an option because for my kids, it's very demeaning. Sometimes I want to beat the autism out, but <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. It's well, it's there. interesting. Like, I don't know what has changed, but I got spanked a ton and I, I didn't give a shit eventually. Mm-hmm. I have spanked Landon, I think, twice. And I remember the last time that it happened, he was just like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm not. And and then you learn that, like, it's not the the spanking thing really is for you because you. Uh, psychology you, behind the behavior. <laughs> you want to you want a quick mm-hmm. like ant, like resolution mm-hmm. to this thing that's. That's been happening. It's negative reinforcement. Yes, yes. Right? If looking at it from a behavior standpoint, the psychology behind spanking, side note too, I was spanked when I was growing up. I can't tell you how many times the car was pulled over and I was grabbed out of the car and my butt was spanked on the side of the road. When my husband slams on the brake, it is not normal that you're like, oh, oh, oh. you get a little uncomfortable because I'm like, am I getting spanked again? And I would always have said, I was spanked when I was younger and I'm okay. But then I sit back and actually think about it. And I'm like, no, that's not a normal reaction to slamming on the brakes. 
or having to pull a car over. But the psychology behind spanking is the first spank is for the behavior, is the negative reinforcer to say, don't do that again because you're going to get this again. If you keep spanking and spanking, and sp- that's for the spanker. Mm-hmm. The psychology behind there is psychology behind <laughs> spanking. And yeah, that so I was like, well, and you know, sometimes I feel rage and I don't know where that's gonna go. So I'm like, I don't want to start spanking because I don't know where that's gonna go. Yeah. Like I so I just have always chose my hands are for high fives. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I've I don't think I've ever spanked Layla. Yeah. And I'm almost positive I haven't. But so I it's so that's what's what's interesting to me is I don't have to yell. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do these things. I'll say things like, do you want nice daddy or mean daddy? Right. Which is like, take things away, groundings right. and shit like that. Mm-hmm. What, I'm, it's fascinating. Why does that work? Right. Whereas when I got spanked a bunch, I was just as bad. Yeah. My entire childhood. Yeah. Yep. And the sad part about behavior is... We thrive on reinforcement. So whether Mm. that's positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, some kids will take negative reinforcement over no reinforcement. So some kids will just act out so they get to the point of spanking because they're getting reinforced. Is that nuts to think? Yeah. You know, and so like... My kids know I I yell. I mean, I have a loud voice already and I yell and it, you know, I don't love that, but they know when I get real quiet, that shit's about to go down. Yep. So, and that's even my husband. When I get real quiet, the pillow's going over your head tonight. (laughs) Like, and I might not take it off. I don't, you know. It might not happen. So, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. But I love, love, love. Like that is just my passion. I've done even just now that I'm not teaching, I have done even just some work with families. Like they're like, I'm struggling. My kids are demons. And I was like, "Ah, well, let's (laughs) let's see what's going on. What kind of structure do you have going on? What do you have a schedule? Kids thrive on schedule and things that they know are going to happen next. When mm. you just shove something in their face, if especially if they're on the spectrum, like that's when all shit breaks oh, loose. Oh, yes, yes. Schedule changes, anything like that. Our house is a nightmare and I have to keep my windows shut. Like, because there's... That's interesting. So with with the type, the type of autism that you have... Mm-hmm. Does change affect you? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have. So because I didn't know that I had autism for so many 35 years, I lived with it. So I had to develop coping skills for when things change because I can't just go, "Ah, I'm not doing this anymore. And I quit. And, (laughs) you know, you can't socially accepting do that. So you have to kind of learn how to keep that shit on the inside. So it's not coming out and people see it Mm -hmm. just like my son. His biggest fear is that he's going to have a meltdown like he does when he's in his safe places, like my house or my mom's house when shit happens, like, because he will crawl around on the floor and make animal noises. And you're like, what is, and his biggest fear is that that would happen when he's not in his safe place that Uh, he would not be able to conceal his autism when he's out in public. And he says that like what 11 year old can think that deeply to be able to acknowledge, Oh my God, I don't want my autism to come out. Yeah. 
you know, it's bananas, but you know, we try to teach them you are who you are and love who you are. And we just need the community to support them with love and acceptance too. And that's another tough part. Yeah. Okay. So we're kind of bouncing back and forth, but at least we're staying, (laughs) we're staying in the same kind of three points. Yeah. Um, So the thing that I was uh, interested in, I don't know what your experience was, but for me, when I moved here, Mm -hmm. the way that kids treated special needs kids was fucking horrible. (sighs) Like, so uh, there was an individual, uh, I believe his name was Jeremy, and he was special needs. Uh, There was some muscular stuff going on along with some developmental things. And one day a kid opened up one of the doors for me. And I was like, it's kind of weird. We're, you know, 13 or 14, whatever it was. And I walk through and then I hear like some type of like, uh, like these weird sounds. And I look back and he had wedged Jeremy in between the door frame and the, mm. and the thing. And so that kid l- opened the door for me just so that he could have the door to be able to get this other kid. I grabbed that kid, threw him against the wall and was like, don't ever touch him again. Mm. and but just the way that i mean i I was friends with a kid who uh him and his friends they created a petition because there was a, a child with down syndrome in the neighborhood they created a petition to get that family to move oh my lord like it was insane it was insane the amount of like i just couldn't believe how horrible people were towards special needs. And then it just changed Mm -hmm. because when Josh was in school, my youngest brother, there were these new people who had this new perspective on how to, we're not, they, they finally like learned, we're not trying to fix something. Mm -hmm. There's nothing broken about them. They don't need fixing. Right. They're just going to learn differently. Mm -hmm. And when they started to do that, there was this huge shift but and now we've shifted back. I was just gonna say mm-hmm. now it's starting to roll back. So like we mm-hmm. had this good wave. Ugh. Yeah, that's we. Um, I will be real honest. The I won't drop names. The primary <laughs> school principal got a wonderful email from me explaining how thrilled that we don't ever have to deal with him again. Yeah, because three years with both of my kids being told that my kids don't have autism it's just parenting issues at home and that was actually said to us by a second grade teacher um and that my kids don't have special needs and that they don't show like they are normal here well no they're normal everywhere their normal is just slightly different than what your normal looks like and i was like you know i and i was still teaching when my oldest started school and i like i was like i'm just gonna give you guys a forewarning I'm a special education teacher. (laughs) Don't fuck with me. Like I know what the law states and all I've ever advocated for is that my kids get what they need to be successful in school. And the primary school failed miserably. And, um, yeah, it, it, so the intermediate school did wonders for my oldest. So I am just excited to see my 
youngest go into the intermediate school and hopefully middle school because I have a middle schooler now. <laughs> um, hopefully middle school is the same way because I do know several teachers. So I'm really confident, but getting them to be what they need. And I was like, yeah, they don't have a physical disability. You cannot see the autism on my kid's face. You can see some traits of autism in their face but if you don't know what that looks like you're not going to know yeah and I was like but how we've always explained it and professionally how I explained it is that we have an internal soda can so and my kids talk about their internal my internal soda can's about to blow mom I'm gonna lose my shit and I'm like cool so let's figure out what we need to do to release that so it doesn't explode and so how we think about that is whatever makes us shake that shake that internal soda can is the sad truth. And what the primary school failed to see is that things are happening during their day that shakes that internal soda can that nobody knows about because Mm -hmm. it's internal. But how uncomfortable must that be to sit in that until you get to your safe place and can lose your shit. Mm -hmm. So like there, there were points learning how to parent and Everybody will always say, you're overqualified to be your kid's parents. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> off. No, I am not. What a not. weird thing to say. I know. I'm like, just because I was a special education teacher does not mean I'm going to be a good parent to these two boys on the autism spectrum. I'm going to sure as hell try my hardest, but I also make, I make mistakes. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, so I was like, you know, it, we have to, there has to be a release at school for them to be able to kind of let a little of that pressure out of that can out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just because you're not seeing it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And I said, the sad truth and what you failed to acknowledge is that you don't know my kid enough to know that they're carrying that with them. But I'm sending my child to school with you Monday through Friday, six to eight hours a day. And you still don't have that relationship built and I get it's hard when you have 30 whatever kids in your class but if you don't know and somebody's telling you and you still refuse to acknowledge that that's when the issue occurs um the beginning of the school year I went to grab my son and I was met with the police Mm. because um I may have had special words with the primary school principal <laughs> and I know threats were made. I will never threaten violence because violence is not even with everything that's gone on in my life. I have never wished violence against anybody from my past. Sure. But, um, you know, I had expressed some severe concern and lack of response to my severe concern mm-hmm. and said, OK, well, um, I'm picking my child up then. I'll, I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> And, um, yeah, the police were there. I'm like, am I getting arrested? Like I, by using words. Uh, okay. Have a great day. Are we not supp- allowed to come pick our kids up? From right. School? Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so I will say, yes, we definitely have a lot of growth to do back in that realm because there are so many parents that I've talked to in this community that are like, my kid has this and this and this and the school won't help them. And my kid has this and this and this, and I'm bringing them to a different school district because they'll actually help. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what are we doing wrong? Or the fact we lived in big Lake for 10 years. And would you mind just pushing up on the base of that? Just a smidge. There you go. Yeah. So we lived in big Lake for 10 years and how it worked out with my mom doing our daycare is 
they just started school in Becker. So they never mm. actually went to school in Big Lake. But whenever I would tell anybody, well, yeah, we live in Big Lake. They're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay, for what? Oh, Big Lake schools suck. And so while I was still teaching, I'm like, I want to get a job at Big Lake schools because I want to know what's going on there that they suck so bad because Becker sucks worse than this. Yeah. Like, I was like, you know, I don't know if it's, well, I have lots of theories about Becker, <laughs> so I'm not going to go there. So yeah, that's my soapbox about education and how, you know, well, I, it's just, it's interesting because we've, we've been, we had all of these people. So we had all this confidence, like mm -hmm. we've done good for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. And then we had new teachers come in right. who were like excited about that. They were right. like, okay, this, I've heard that they're doing this. We were like the, mm -hmm. one of the first districts to get iPads for kids mm -hmm. and all of this amazing shit. The underlying all of the barnacles mm -hmm. was all of this fucking racism oh, and my. like just lack uh, of homophobia oh yeah homophobia mm. lack of understanding Merco. murka yeah <laughs> um but it it was obviously heightened by trump mm -hmm. when when that happened because and i try to explain this to to my kids is like because uh landon when just before we voted was like uh trump trump's an idiot mm -hmm. i was like Absolutely. Yeah. And then he goes, people who vote for Trump are idiots. And I was like, <clears throat> can't say that, though, because right. at that time, yeah. these people, you have to imagine they're actually afraid of X, Y, Z. Right. They're actually afraid of their world changing. Right. Of being and we may not understand them or why they would vote for him. But. Yeah, it is hard. It's that's something that we struggle with. We told my son that he cannot spell Trump at school because we would spell Trump and he'd be like, Mom, I know how to spell Trump. And I'm like, how? D-O-U-C-H-E. And I'm like, <laughs> well, yes, but no, <laughs> please don't tell your teacher. But yeah. So like having to to try. So my kids do have this understanding of like when they hear kids talking about these things, uh -huh. it's not their it's not the kids' no. actual viewpoint. The parents are feeding this bullshit right. into the kids. That's the thing that they should be talking about when they say, like, <laughs> kids with special needs need better parenting or whatever. Mm -hmm. No, it's the ones that don't have any problems, quote unquote, mm -hmm. that are spewing this bullshit rhetoric. Right. And it's like, that, 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 I mean, internet, sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it's heightened by or reinforced mm -hmm. at home. And I, so with what has happened this, even just this school year, the last couple of years, I've been shocked at some of the things that have happened within the school district. And, um, but just specifically this year, I was like, thank God I'm not a teacher because I would be fired because I can't even tell you how many teacher friends I have that may or may not work in the school district whose lights are being blown out. And that's a metaphor, but that are being silenced and cannot Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck. It pisses me off. Yeah. I have a friend who is moving because of that. Because she or they are not allowed to talk on certain things. Um, or they can only say what is approved by the school and yep. that's not okay. Or the bullying that is done to some of our educators in the school district. Yes. We have very limited racial 
diversity within our school district. And one of the teachers in particular, students will wear Confederate flag outfits to his classroom with a cell phone in their hand, filming his response. Do not blow out that light, people. Do not blow out that light. And that kills me as an educator. Because as an educator, you don't go into it for the riches. No. And the fame. When I I knew from the time that I was young that either I was going to run off to Hollywood and become an actress or I was going to be a teacher. And actually it was like my sophomore year of high school. Cause it was the first year I was captain. Yes. Yeah. So sophomore year of high school, um, we always ran a, a fun little, little kid um, uh, clinic and then they would perform with us at a football game. I loved that. I loved working with kids. So I was like, teacher but I'm a bit dramatic (laughs) anxiety not actor but um so I got a call and I was like how did you find my phone number I'm like a minor or something from a parent and she's like why can't my daughter be in your your clinic and I was like um is it full I don't I don't I don't know I don't do that that's not my part of it she goes no I was told that my daughter can't perform like the other ones and I was like what do you mean she can't perform I'm like if she can't dance, like we'll, we'll work with that. Like that's not, no, my daughter has spina bifida. Oh no. They told me that she would not be able to perform with the other girls. So she could not do your camp. And I was like, uh, what lady? Um, can I get your name and your, because this is, you know, before cell phones. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so- <laughs> I was like, can I get your name and phone number and I'll give you a call right <laughs> back. And that next day I go marching into the community education office. And I was like, why was this girl told she couldn't be in my camp this is for all kids it you know we never really I don't think we had any boys that ever wanted to be in our camp Mm -hmm. but I was like boys girls there's nothing that would would say no you can't do this unless it's full Mm -hmm. and I was like is it full no okay well then why was she told she can't well she has spina bifida cool what is what does that even mean I'm like I don't even know what that means so I don't care. And I said, not only is she in my camp, she's going to be my sidekick and it's going to be awesome. I developed a great relationship with that family. And I found out like just the crap that the the school put like so commonly with spina bifida. If you have the full form, I guess there's multiple different forms of spina bifida, but, um, her spine was exposed, which means she had no feeling from the waist down, Okay, which means she was a second grader wearing diapers, which means when you poop, it's a second grader poop. It's not like a baby poop. The teacher would make it so awkward and be like, okay, everyone, we have to clear out of the classroom because she pooped. Jesus Christ. I was like, no way. So from that point, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a special education teacher. Perfect. I have the passion to work with kids with special needs. Like, cool. That's where I want. And then I was like, well, okay, now I have to pick what area. I'm like, learning disabilities. Well, I probably had one. I don't, you know, I'm like, I don't know. So then I was like, emotional behavioral disorders. That sounds amazing. And people are like, oh my God, you're, you're an angel from heaven. And I'm like, why? Because (laughs) I'm willing to see a kid that you're just going to write off and I'm willing to say, okay, you know, let's see what you need to be successful in school. And I'm going to do that. Like that doesn't make me any 
higher than any other teacher other than, you know, most of the teachers that would send the kids to me on triple blue. I was like, it's blue and then you're dead. You can't have triple blue. And, you know, the first question that I like, I would ask four questions to my students anytime they got sent to me. Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you have to go to the bathroom? Mm. Our four basic needs. If those needs aren't met with kids, how are they supposed to learn? Wow. How? So I would literally have kids like in the multiple different schools that I worked in that would be like, Miss Colford, we need, I'm like, who are you? I don't, you're not, I don't know who you are. And this one girl, she's like, I'm never going to get into a good college. I'm never going to do this. And I was like, um, okay, well, you're in fifth grade. What do we, what do you mean? You're not going to get in. I got a 99% on my test. I was like, oh, that's Okay, so let's go back to spanking. That's one kid that I could have oh. slapped upside the head. Because I was like, I'm 99% walk away. I was like, um, at that school, it was a classical education school. So very not for struggling kids. Okay. For like the top 10% of no one. But um, everybody thought it was a charter school. So they would send their kids there. Oh. And um, they thought they were getting individualized instruction. I'm like... You do realize that classical education is like 35 students per classroom. They're not getting any individual, like know what you're putting your kids through. But so I was like, when my kids get a D, we party because they didn't fail. (laughs) I was like, so you're coming to me saying you got 99%. Well, that's interesting though. So like going back to that whole, um, uh, the spanking is for me thing. Mm -hmm. If you're fifth grader, right, having anxiety about that ninety nine percent. Oh my word! What are you doing to them? And why do you think that that's helping them? Yeah, you're getting something out of that. To be right, look at what I'm doing. I'm creating this perfect, yeah, extremely intelligent child. And my so and I'm that so high school I didn't really apply myself as well as I could have. Mm. And I mean, part of it is like just not understanding some of the struggles that I had. Like I was kicked out of honors English and my honors English teacher told my parents it's because I was lazy when honestly I would read a page in a book and go. I don't know what that just said. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, as an educator, I used Audible with a lot of my kids oh. going back and reading or listening to books. I'm like, holy cow, that's not what I got out of that book, because I just reading comprehension was a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. But we didn't identify it because I looked normal, I guess. And that wasn't something that they would even consider being an option. It was just that I was lazy. And I was like, I work 10 times harder than some of you guys. Like, it doesn't come easy to me. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy. Like, I like going through my addiction and like going to treatment and all that stuff. Great I, job, by the way. That's amazing. I had an insanely, like, I'm so lucky that I had the support system that mm-hmm. I did because, I mean, the success rate of people after treatment is like, it, it fluctuates, but it's generally like five to seven percent of people are able to not relapse. So it's terrifying, which, yeah, right. I'm, like I said, I'm lucky that I have the support system that I do. But when I stopped using, I learned because I thought that I had beat my anxiety and that it had just mm-hmm. gone away. But I was absolutely suppressing it with with substances. Mm-hmm. 
So like as a 33 year old learning that I like we always joked that I had ADHD mm-hmm. and depression and these things. And then all of those things, when you don't have anything to repress them, are just there. Mm-hmm. And then we learned that I have uh, bipolar disorder. And then you look back at your, that's like what I was connecting was looking Eye-opening. back. It's like, fuck, of course I didn't. Right. I, I, like I had zero help in that department. And my parents didn't know what any of that stuff mm-hmm. looked like. It just looked like. I mean, it had to look insane because when I would have like anxiety attacks mm-hmm. or with bipolar, like you just like when you're younger, you just rage out. So mm-hmm. it had to look insane. But I yeah, it's it's a bummer that. But it's nice at the same time to know, at least know now, mm-hmm. because you feel this kind of calm. Right. Like, how old were you when you realized you were on the spectrum? So I'm 37, we already decided. So <laughs> three years ago, so 34 oh. mm-hmm, is it when is. I did my psych testing. And when I went in to do my, get my results, they're like, paranoia came out. And I was like, can you explain, use that in a sentence? Like, I don't understand what that means. And like, he was concerned because they don't want... Because, of, of course, I shared that I was a survivor. And they're like, well, are you fat because you were raped? And I was like, no, I'm fat because I eat a lot. And, I, you know, my body hurts. And I no, I am not fat because I wasn't trying to eat to make myself unsexy. I mean, oh, sure. you know, like that's kind of what their worries were, because they're like, how successful are you going to be if that's why? Because you're just going to gain the weight back. Oh, I and see. I was like, cool. Well, no. And so after talking to that, to, you know, him and I started therapy, we decided that it's hypervigilance and it's not paranoia, but I'm always aware of where the exit is or what's kind of surrounding me sure. because of my life experiences. Cause I don't ever want to be caught in a situation that I can't escape. Gotcha. So hypervigilance, not paranoia. That's interesting though. I mean, is that common among survivors that they try to make themselves look? I think that's a misconception on weight loss surgery, honestly. Cause I was like, yeah, okay. Well I could see like, I mean, if you watch 600 pound life, oh, sure. like some of them identify as being eating and eating and eating because they don't want to be desirable to their, the person who's abusing them. Sure. But I wouldn't say that that is necessarily common i don't know i mean you see it on tv but how many cases of that like right that's tv so i was like no i don't eat because i'm like i maybe i'm an emotional eater but i'm you know i'm like i also have pcos which is a huge issue with like polycystic ovarian syndrome and i was like you can be perfectly healthy and do all the right things. I was training for a half marathon and gained 20 pounds in one month. And my doctor said, this is the year that you're going to gain a hundred pounds if you don't do something. And I was like, seriously, do something. How though? Like try to lose weight. Yeah. Right. I was like, I'm my diet's on point. Like, so, you know, and then, you know, you start having issues when you, I weighed 75 pounds more than what I do right now. And you start having a lot of health issues. So that's why I was like, no, I've decided I'm doing this and it happened. But yeah, it's definitely, I wasn't fat because anything, it was just 
my genetics and like, yeah. you know, I'm like, no, I didn't eat for a reason, I guess. Maybe there is a reason, but not. Um, something that's interesting with the eating or substances, uh-huh. um, because dopamine, your uh, subconscious brain associates dopamine with survival. Uh-huh. Like when people say like comfort food or like things like that, like really your brain just goes, we're surviving right now. Make sure you let the rest of the system know that everything's okay. Right. And so it's, it's this subconscious, um, uh, what are they called? It's a, a passive, I always compare it to Wolverine, which is stupid. So (laughs) he has, uh, the, the ability to heal himself. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's a passive thing. He doesn't, he doesn't think heal. Right. So like you have these, uh, Passive survival skills, right? Breathing, blinking, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that passive part of your brain just there's no emotion to it. Mm-hmm. It's just send the thing that lets them know we're alive still, right? So with, I mean, w- with people who who overeat and overindulge or whatever, like your brain just thinks we're surviving, introduce Mm -hmm. more of the survival stuff. Right. And it's so funny because I still enjoy going to like our support group for the weight loss surgery um, because it's not just an easy fix. It's a tool. And one of the biggest things that we say time after time after time is they did surgery on our stomach, not our brain. Wow. So if you're not right about eating, you may not be successful. And I like... I struggled hardcore with this because I got to a point where I did anything I put in my body, even if it's good and what I needed, I would puke for a good six months. I struggled with throwing up everything because I was so afraid of failing. Oh, wow. So afraid of failing. So I would eat and then puke, even if it was the right amount, even if I would eat and puke. Every meal, nobody knew what was going on. And I finally was like, God, I just can't do this anymore. And had to finally, I finally went to my dietitian. I was like, listen, this is what I've been doing for the last six months. I'm done. I don't feel like I looked into treatment options because I was like, do I need treatment? Is this just another one of those addictions that I'm kind of just jumped right in and need help with? And I was like, nope, I'm done. I need to do this the right way. I've lost enough weight I'm doing well. I need to not sabotage myself. Mm. So like that it, it is, it's crazy. And I hear all the time where people are like, I gained all my weight back. And I was like, yeah. but remember they do surgery on your stomach. If you're not doing the work on your brain yourself or with a therapist, how are you going to be successful? Mm-hmm. Because there is a slight reason why, people that have weight loss surgery get to the point of needing weight loss surgery. And it, for whatever reason it might be, if it's other health issues, if it's just, you know, well, I just kind of gave up and this is where I'm at, you know, it, it's different for every person. So, yeah. but I was like, when they recommended to me, here's me following rules. They're like, therapy might be a good option. Find a therapist to work with about your trauma to make sure that it's not the reason why you're overweight. And so I was, I met a really awesome therapist and have been in therapy since. So 2018 is when I started the program. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing therapy for three years now. And 
she is the first therapist that I have not stopped contacting. So (laughs) because, you know, I never really wanted to process the trauma because I never. Well, there's some therapists that think that they're accomplishing something by like getting you to emote. Mm -hmm. And so they'll bring up the same trauma over and over again, unless it's, what is it? EMD? EMDR. EMDR. Mm -hmm. Unless it's EMDR, you don't need to be doing that shit. Right. And you know, (laughs) they, they actually, cause I was really, I'm like, I want to do EMDR. I want to try this. Like I, it seems like it would be very, very helpful for trauma. People who have trauma. I could just put a dog collar on you instead. And that if you run through the fence a couple times. Yeah. Is that <laughs> it? So it's non effective? Well, I mean, yeah. Yes. Okay. So it, and my therapist is like, that's not appropriate for you. So we're not going to do EMDR. She's like, let's just talk about it. And it took me almost three years to process a lifetime of trauma and which was crazy like to finally go start to finish I had to write my lifeline I was gonna ask so did she she had you write stuff down then? yes and then kind of talk about how the trauma fits into my life now and how I like what am I doing now and kind of going you know ADHD back to when I started working with an advocate and trying to figure out you know where my life needed to go I um, decided I was like after a couple of months of working with them I'm like I want to do that you've helped me so much you've helped me get my life back onto uh, on track you helped me through having a miscarriage you helped me through you know I didn't necessarily process the trafficking until years later just because there was so much else going on that I didn't have time to sit down and go, mm, yeah. let's talk about me being trafficked because there was plenty of other th- shit going on that needed to be addressed. So I actually decided to do the advocacy training. Um, and because I was like, that's what I want to be there for people. I want to show them that no matter what life they lived, no matter how far they dug themselves into the hole, look, you can get out. It's interesting the way that you convey purpose Mm -hmm. it seems like you see that that there's this there's a resolution Mm -hmm. to these problems if it can work for me you just need someone there right is there someone there then i can be there that's really interesting well and it's really so kind of also towards the end of my year my sisters and i won tickets to the saving jane concert if you don't remember, neither do I. <laughs> um, so, and it was, so there is a lot more too about my um, perpetrator from when I was 21 that if you want to know any more about that. But I, I was going to ask, so like you were saying before, how it's not, you can't just cut ties with a person. Mm-hmm. It, it happens a lot with drug dealers as well because mm-hmm. they don't want to lose a customer. Um, what, were you still living in St. Cloud? Mm-hmm. How the fuck do you go about your day knowing that th- that I mean, not necessarily that they're going to pop up at every scared as hell. Go. Oh, man. You don't. Your anxiety is really big because it's like, was that enough for him to realize that I am done, done? Like I had said, maybe like there were a couple of times where I was like, I just don't think I can do this anymore. Like some of the shit that your people want to do is far beyond what I've ever imagined ever 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 doing and I was like I just I, I can't I can't do this and it's 
kind of the f- weird socially awkward part of me now is people will be talking about oh my sexual experience when I was this old and I was like this one time when I was trafficked <laughs> and and then it's like this huge wah wah and I'm like no I'm okay sharing this if I'm sharing my story with you it's okay but this one time when I was trapped and I'm like okay so I don't have any fun sex stories sorry Eric Clark um <laughs> I'm lucky I remembered that name, but we'll put his Instagram up here. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Maybe (laughs) how's your reality business going? Just kidding. (laughs) I don't even know if that's what he's doing, but you know, like it's really hard because I don't have, I don't have those stories. Like I don't have this one time when I had consensual sex. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's a different, it's, it's different. I mean, obviously it's different, but like, your your viewpoint isn't like this shared experience. Mm-hmm. It's something a, done to me. It's that happened to me thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting because um, I should not be drinking soda. No, you're fine. That was I'm silly. drinking soda. Oh, okay, I'm gonna belch soon. But so it's <laughs> it's really interesting, and that's why I think like when I met my husband, that we worked so well together because my husband is he's medically retired from the navy. He also has PTSD uh. from some military related stuff, but we just connected on a different level. Like we kind of got each other's crazy and I, I use crazy very lightly. You know what that is? What's that? No, tell me, educate me. Tra- trauma bond. Right. Oh yeah. Heck yes. Like we can sometimes be each other's worst enemy and then like annoy the hell out of each other. <laughs> like when he's supposed to clean last night cause we have guests coming over <laughs> And we go buy paint earlier this week. So instead of cleaning, he painted. And I looked at him getting home at 10 p.m. last night after working all day, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. I looked at him like, the pillow is not coming off tonight. (laughs) It's done. I will go for my next husband. Because I was like, I can't believe. And he's like, oh, I thought this was helpful. And I'm like, seriously, our house is a shithole right now. (laughs) We have people coming over, but so we really did. We connected and I would say for the first time ever, like TMI, but sorry, mom, um, the sex was different. It wasn't, there wasn't any crazy expectation of me to like handstand or whatever. (laughs) And it was just, I was like, it's very vanilla. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, this is interesting. But like for me right away, I was like, I love you. I love you. And I was like, I love hanging out with you. And, (laughs) you know, like, because I was like, wow, this is what it's supposed to be like. Because that was actually the first relationship that I had been in. Well, there was one that I was kind of dating when I met him but that was not a healthy one either Uh, so he was my first actual healthy relationship and you know some people are like well did you move too fast and I was like you know Sunday is our 13th anniversary I'm like maybe we did but we get each other like if I am having a tough time or I'm struggling or like this morning even he started asking me a lot of questions and I'm like dude (laughs) quit talking to me. <laughs> I was like, I'm prepping for this podcast. <laughs> I cannot have you talk to me right now. He's like, what is it about? What is it? And I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. 
And then, you know, he doesn't appreciate when I say shut the fuck up, which <laughs> sometimes I'm like, you just push me to that point where I have to say it because you need to know like the feeling behind it. Cause that's what you're making me ah, feel. Yes. Yes. And I was like, so shut the fuck up to me is like, I'm done. You're pushing me. So like, it's, uh, what is that? I need you to validate my feelings yeah. right now. And I know like he's the information seeker, like, uh, you know, that's how Kim is too. Yeah. And I was like, it's just going to be okay. It's just going to be okay. I'll talk to you about it tonight. How does that sound? <laughs> you know? And so like we, you know, we are very different, but we are very same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just work real well. And unfortunately, so, um, back to who is my perpetrator from when I was 21, um, to kind of give you a little backstory, I knew him because I was KCLD street team. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was me. Okay. You know, they, we wore next to no clothes and stood outside the bar on winter and right. You know, handed out stuff. Um, so actually worked for, he actually worked for KCLD and I was dating somebody from, um, wild country 99. Uh. Yeah. Uh huh. So, but we all kind of knew each other because they're the same, I think, isn't it the same yeah, yeah, company yeah. that owns them or whatever. Yeah. And so the, uh, what is it? Latent broadcast. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, um, I, it was actually my finals week even, and I ended up meeting a few of my um, colleagues out for a drink. And I was like, well, I have a final tomorrow, so it's not going to be wild and crazy. And I need to be responsible. And I get a message from, um, and he's like, Hey, well, we're down at this bar. Do you want to come meet us? And I was like, sure. Why? You know, you sound pretty drunk. I'll get you home safe, whatever. And so I went and was with him and I was like, Oh, you know, are you guys ready to go? Is it, you know, and I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. I came back and there was a drink on the bar for me. And I was like, Oh no, I already had one. If I'm driving, I'm, you know, one and done. I don't, I don't, I didn't feel comfortable drinking and driving. Um, and you know, they really encouraged me to drink it. And I was like, okay, I'll take a couple of sips. Thanks for buying. I'm like, but a sex on the beach. I'm like, dumb. Give me some crown. I'm not, a, <laughs> no, thanks. Um, I don't do frou-frou stuff, but, um, so then it came time for us all to go home. And I was like, well, you guys are too intoxicated to drive home. So come stay at my apartment. And the good little housekeeper I was, I, I was like, I told the guy I was dating. I'm like, I'm just going to have you sleep on the, out in the living room with him because I don't want it to be weird if he wakes up and doesn't realize where he was because he was extremely intoxicated. Uh. He actually ended up puking all over my bathroom while I was making him food to come out and drink more. And I was like, slow your old dude. Like, this is weird. And um, before I went to bed that night, I opened my door and I was like, okay, guys, no funny business. Good night. And I locked my bedroom door. The unfortunate part was we had a bathroom and then it led into my closet, which led into my bedroom. And that's how he got into my bedroom. And for me, when I woke up and kind of came to, and I say, I mentioned that just because there's some information that comes out a little bit later. But when I came to, I was laying on my stomach and I'm like, I thought I was having a sex dream. What was, nope. Someone's definitely having sex with me. Like what is going on? And I was like, like, 
seriously, that is okay. And I found out that it was not the guy I was seeing. And so I'm going, okay, make an excuse. So it stops, make an excuse. So it stops, make an excuse. So it stops. And so I was like, I hear my dad calling. No, your phone's not ringing. Okay. Um, I think my roommate's up. Nope. She's sleeping. Okay. Um, please stop. No, this is what you want. And he just started pushing my arms under me more. And I was like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I want. And I was like, okay. And then finally what made it stop is I was like, I'm, I'm going to pee. <laughs> the only other thing that I could think of to make it go away. And so then I got up and left and went out. I woke up. I was like, time for you guys to fucking leave. Get out of here. Um, and I went out to my car and I made a phone call and it was to a friend of mine. And I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't believe you two weeks ago. He just oh. did it to me now. And, um, I will forever kick myself. I, I believed her, but I didn't do enough. I didn't support her in the way that she needed. And, but I didn't know any better either. And it's, that's kind of a heavy packed thing. I Granted, I was 21, not a kid, but for a kid to deal with. Yeah. And, um, so I think it was, so I ended up, my roommate called the police and my parents, my parents drove from Becker to St. Cloud before the police even showed up at oh, our wow. apartment. I went in for the rape kit, which is terrible. Um, anybody that's experienced it, I stand with you. Um, it is, it can be worse than the situation itself. In my, in my experience, well, the, I would the identify phrasing that. itself. Rape kit. I mean, there's gotta be some better term to fucking come up with. I know. I, and of course at that point there weren't SANES, which is sexual assault nurse examiner. So you just get the ER doc and nurse. Ugh. So nobody that specializes in that. And so 21, so that's, you know, 16 years ago, um, even to get treatment for STIs and that kind of stuff that they can treat for, or the morning after pill, because St. Cloud Hospital was what affiliation? I don't know. You, religious uh, affiliation oh, oh, oh. because of their religious affiliation. They wouldn't even give me the morning after pill. Right. Yeah. My parents had to go fill it at a 24 hour pharmacy, bring it back to me and give it to me so I could take it in a timely manner. Yeah, that's right. Dumb. Dumb. We are doing far better now. 16 years later. I will say that. Um, but so I, um, so I did that. The police were there. Nothing. I will say of my sexual assault experience, no charges ever. And that is the stark reality of our world and how bad we all suck at doing that and supporting survivors because it's a he said, she said, because yep. a lot of times there's not a third party watching or involved or whatever mm -hmm. that'll say, yeah, yep. That person raped that person. Yep. Mm -hmm. So when about two years later, when my case just didn't go anywhere, I didn't get any notification that it was being dropped or that there wasn't enough evidence to pursue charges. I, fought to reopen my case and because it just went away it just never there was no ending there was no like 
it just stopped. They just stopped doing anything with it. And at that point, um, the investigator that I was working with said, well, you need to get a confession out of him. We need to wire you and you're going to have to go. I'm like, this is not SVU. This is real life shit. And so I was like, well, I can't guarantee that if I had to meet him in public, that that rage that I spoke about earlier wouldn't come out and I would possibly want to harm him because, oh, rewind again. So saving Jane. Ha <laughs> ha, I stopped there. Um, <laughs> so that's significant because KCLD sponsored that. Mm-hmm. I lost my job at KCLD, by the way, because it was a conflict of interest to have me, who was saying he raped me, work there. And since he was on the radio, I got stopped um but anyway so a year later shit's kind of hitting the fan um (laughs) i realized oh my god he is here my perpetrator is here tonight and so i'm like okay bar here we come so i start doing shots because i was like what else is you know there's nothing else to do here that goes back to that survival thing. Mm-hmm. You're the, that subconscious part of your brain is like, how how do we feel safe? Right. And since that's what I was using to live my life anyways, that was the first thing I went to. Well, all of a sudden, my sister comes walking up. My older sister comes walking up with like five women. And I was like, uh, you guys are interrupting my drinking. What's going on? <laughs> and she's like, Sarah, it happened to them too. And I was like, Jesus, what happened to them? The same thing that happened to you. And I was like, happened to, did, did you go to the bathroom and say, Hey, who's been raped? (laughs) And like, people just started flocking. I'm like, how how the fuck did you find out that these people have been raped? And so I was like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that. I hope you're doing okay. Like what, what what do you want me to do? Well, so, um, my sister, well, my younger sister was pregnant. My older sister was old enough to drink. So we were drinking and then, you know, towards the end of the evening, my sister went up to my perpetrator and said, why did you do this to my sister? You don't know what this has done to her. His response was, you don't rape the willing. (laughs) And then we had a very kind gentleman, like help us get to our car because my sister threw her beer at his head, (laughs) (laughs) which was, you know, for me was a little fulfilling because I was like, thank you. Like, Someone actually got to see that. But for my sisters, it was really hard because it was the reality of where I was currently in that life, which was not a great place. But them seeing my weakness. Uh. And it was hurtful. It was hard for them and for them to see my weakness and me to lose my like be a mess like and them be a mess. And like it was really that was a challenge. But so that was about a year. And then the next year is when I reopened my case. And so they told me, why are me? And I was like, are there any other options? Like, what did my rape kit say? What did like you guys took my bedding? And because this happened in my own bed and you didn't find anything. And I was like, you know what? I want to see the police report because I want to understand what was done. And um it was fucking frustrating to read the police report because explained this like amazing sexual experience that I was like, uh, I don't remember that or that, or 
how long was this going on before I woke up? And so the problem with being drugged is that it leaves your system. So they didn't test me for being drugged because I had explained to them that I only had two drinks. So I wasn't intoxicated. Um, But even if they would have tested me at four o'clock in the morning when I went to the hospital, if I had been slipped something in my sex on the beach, Mm. it very well could have been out of my system by then. But in his in his report to the police officer, he actually said, what's that bitch complaining about? It was the best sexual experience of her life. Wow. So after reading that, I was like, yeah, wire me, please. Wire me. Where is he at? I'll go right now. Let's go. Let's go. I'll meet up with him. And so unfortunately, he had moved out of the area, which now he's he's back in the, well, the last I heard, he was back in the area. Um, but he had moved out of the area, so we had to do recorded phone calls. And um, so I am at this point now, I'm with Jeremy and, you know, kind of rehashing some of this stuff. And um, the other gift that he provided me was HPV. And oh. yeah, so I was like, oh, go get yourself checked, asshole. And because it was a sexual assault, at that point, there were like 140 different. 44 different strains of HPV and there were only six active ones that had symptoms and so because it was a sexual assault they tested me because it was very expensive to test to see what strain you had you just kind of get to wait and see if anything shows up and I tested positive for three out of the six that have symptoms so all of this is going on I'm having to go to the doctor every three months to have a colposcopy done because I have cancerous cells on my cervix and like all this stuff is going on and like it kind of fueled a little bit of anger for me to want to have this phone call so it was the third time so we had to schedule three times because he didn't answer and we get him on the phone and he's like you called rape on five different guys at that time and I'm like no that's not that's not true and he's like if I raped you I'll burn in hell and so at the point where the investigator kind of looked at me and put her pen down quit writing questions that were leading me to get him to make a confession um and she kind of shook her head and I was like fuck this isn't happening is it so I went through all of the shit and it's not happening and the last thing I said to him is enjoy hell because that's where you're going you said it yourself if you raped me you're going to hell so that's my closure with him and he's done and I don't have a care in the world about him ever um I will say that all of my so the Gardasil shot was new at that point when I was sexually assaulted so I didn't take it before I contracted HPV but they gave it to me after just to be like hey this might work you know we don't know but do you want to try it and I was like well I guess I'll try it try anything I mean if it's gonna help why not um I had symptoms of HPV until the day my son was born my oldest and I have been symptom free since and so I always say my oldest saved my life and I had so we I also had a lot of fertility issues I had seven pregnancies and I have two boys so um I had one more miscarriage with my with Jeremy before we had Keaton. So I had two pregnancies before Keaton and, um, but whatever it was, whether it's hormonal, whether the Gardasil shot worked three years later, we don't know, but I don't have, I mean, I don't have those symptoms anymore, which is great. Awesome. Before we, we keep continuing down this path, the, so that was over a year. 
that whole process of trying to get justice, you're saying? No. So after two years of nothing happening, so two years after my assault is when I was like, nope, I want you guys to do a better job. So then I went and talked to an investigator and they reopened my case because it just closed because of time. Okay. So much time went by. Oh, oh, oh I see. So I see. they didn't, there was no resolution, but it, the investigator didn't do the investigation. Yeah. So they talked to the perpetrator. They talked to um, they and claim that I had sexual contact with that night, which I have no recollection of, which would lead me to believe that there is potential drugs put in whatever, whether it be at my apartment or at the bar, who knows? Right. But that's, you know, here, if we don't know. So, but so two years after that, my actual assault occurred is when I reopened my case. And because at that point I'd been an advocate and I was like, you know, I advocate for people to, if they want to do that, do it. Why am I not doing it for myself? I'm really good at supporting people and doing that. I'm like, but I'm not so good at supporting myself and right. doing what I need to do. So, um, so yeah, it was about two years. And then it took probably, I would say, three months to actually get him on the phone. To find, first we had to locate him because, of course... I knew him as Marty. I didn't know that he had a different name. So like when I found out that his name is actually like, I was mm. like, oh, that feels disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So for people listening, like if you, I mean, I'm assuming most, most people are going to be leaning on the, on the side of like obviously application. Mm -hmm. But if you have ever said, why don't they go to the police oh. over two years yeah. to maybe, maybe. Right. Get some some closure or. And that's only because I'm the badass I was and was like, I'm not just letting this go. Yeah. Someone needs to be held accountable in my life with that takes advantage of people that does that does these things. Because at that point, nobody had nobody. Nobody had suffered any consequences for the things that they had done to me in my life. Yeah. And people complain about cancel culture. It's like if the if the <clears throat> least that happens is they just lose their job, their, mm -hmm. their favorite job. That's mm -hmm. nothing compared to the, the fucking jail time that they should be served. Right? It's, it's, it's so underwhelming the type of closure that you get from a, a tweet and people supporting you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still not, I don't know. It's, it's, if, if you're, if, if these, if victims are able to get anything mm -hmm. back, Right. I just. I always encourage people to start by believing. If you ask me what you can do to support a person that has been sexually assaulted or says they've been sexually assaulted, start by believing. Don't ever not believe them. Because I know people will probably be swearing my name right now if they're listening, saying, well, there are false reports. And what I can tell you is in my years of being an advocate and working with victims of sexual violence, it does not happen as often as people understand or believe because people want to believe that the person that they know that's being accused of that could never do that. And I respect that. I respect that it's really hard for you to understand that someone you may love even could do something like that, but start by believing the victim. Because what I will say is in my years of being an advocate, I have seen three cases that were considered false reports that um, if you look at the situation, there was one where this woman 
called to report a sexual assault. She was going to um, the hospital for a rape kit. And then she named her perpetrator. And everything went a little bit crazy. And I didn't necessarily understand why everything went a little bit crazy. And I got pulled out by the nurse or the doctor. And they're like, that's not possible. Or the officer, I think it was. That's not possible. And I was like, okay, and what are, why, why is that not possible? Because he's currently incarcerated for her rape. Mm. Okay. So in my head, this is, you know, flashback. Right. I was going to say trauma. Like, this is not a false report. She literally lived through this again. And like, they're like, well, how do you explain the injury to her? Good question. How do we explain the injury to her? <laughs> like, yeah, she's showing similar injuries that she had when she presented after the initial assault tonight. I don't know how to explain that. Whether it was self-inflicted, whether maybe she was sexually assaulted again. Right. And, you know, we don't know. We don't know that. But don't call that a false report because it's not yeah. a false report. Well, and I always say, so let's say um, that there there is a false report mm -hmm. and that individual goes to jail. Right. Statistically speaking, I would rather lose one guy falsely than have the potentially dozens and dozens of women that get assaulted because we said, ah, this is probably a false report. It's mm. nothing in comparison. If you're going to say we're going to lose on either side, mm -hmm. we're losing far less men who are mm -hmm. apparently being falsely accused than right. we are the, the women that are being assaulted. Mm -hmm. It's not even comparable. And isn't it crazy to think or to know that a person who makes a false report for whatever reason is spending more time in jail than a perpetrator who is sexually assaulting people. Yeah. How freaking bananas is that? Yeah. That yeah. is so beyond like beyond anything that I can even imagine. And I, so kind of to back to when I left teaching and I worked at the sexual assault center within my first month, I was going through an abortion with an 11 year old. So a lot of secondary trauma happened when I was working at the sexual assault center. Mm. But I was like, hell no, I'm not letting this baby go in there by herself. Hell no, am I not letting her be thrown to the wolves that stand outside Planned Parenthood in St. Paul, oh screaming at an 11 year old who's having an abortion. I've never been through one of those. That was my first experience and it was intense. And you know, I appreciate that time. And after I actually left the, the sexual assault center, um, I kind of took a break from advocating for about three months just because I was like, I'm burned out. Yeah. Like I became very cynical and I was like, the whole world sucks. Why? You know, and, you know, I kind of had to just sit there for a moment and then light the fire under my ass to figure out what do I want to do next? What is my next move? And I was introduced to an amazing woman. Her name is Sarah Super and um, kind of her organization called Break the Silence. Mm. And at first it was just this beautiful, small Facebook community. We did some meetups here and there. And then to hear her aspirations and how much she wanted to do for survivors. I was like, I'm in, you got me. 
I've been dedicated to this place for that many years. You're I'm yours. You tell me what to do. I'll be there. I'll do it. And um, we started talking like six years ago or something like that about her aspirations for a memorial honoring victims of sexual violence and kind of just talking about what that looks like and what her dreams are about that. And then she approached me and she's like, actually, um, we need to, um, we need to put together like a board of directors and we need Mm. to, because we want nonprofit status. And if we're going to raise money, I'm like, this is happening. Like this wasn't just a, a dream, like some big dream that we talk about in the future, but have no end date in mind. She goes, no, this, you know, can you, um, how do you feel about being the president of break the silence? And I was like, that's pretty, that's a lot. Like, what does that mean for me? Like I am running a business and you know, what, you know, what, and she goes, well, you know, we just need to have this we need to have a formation. She's like, you won't necessarily have to be doing anything crazy above what you don't want to do. She's like, you can continue to do. I did a lot of truth telling events, which is something that break the silence offers. And it's just this really small, intimate place where people can break their silence about sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And we have these statements, which I will close with, but we have these statements that we say when anybody breaks their silence that supports you, that we are all supporting you. Um, so then she's like, well, and we have raised like $200,000 so far. And I was like, (laughs) we've raised $200,000. Wow. And, um, she's like, actually, you know, I'm starting to look at spaces where we could potentially build this memorial. And I was like, well, okay. Wow. Like, you know, this sounds cool. And in October of last year, we unveiled the nation's First memorial honoring victims of sexual violence in Boom Island Park in Minneapolis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huge. Huge. It's gorgeous. Oh, my God. It is. I was like, okay, well, my next wedding, I would like to get married there. Is that okay? Like, it is just just going there and seeing the beautifulness behind the meaning behind. Like, there's just so many different levels to how beautiful it is there so highly recommend boom island park it is the nation's wow first memorial and so we we collectively raised over like four and a half years like seven hundred thousand dollars and that was like minneapolis park and board matched up to like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or 225 i can't remember the numbers too many numbers but um like they helped us and donors um we had v i don't know um like from the mighty ducks eve, no eve and <laughs> formerly known as eve ensler okay. i i got to um introduce her at our ceremony um but v donated and she very graciously came she v or eve ensler formerly known as eve ensler let okay. me get that right wrote the vagina monologues oh oh okay She's wow. badass. I was like, oh my, I got to meet her in person through one of our Break the Silence events. And I was like, oh my God, this is better than Posh. That is wild. Posh Spice. Like, same level for me. Like, yeah, I was, it 
totally jazzed. And so, you know, kind of my advocacy has taken a little bit different of a turn to kind of, you know, I still like to do advocacy. I still consider myself an independent sexual assault counselor in the state of Minnesota because I always hold that title. Um, but I do it more so in let's change. Um, part of my role as being the president of Break the Silence is, let's see. Okay, so this, so this February would have been a year and a half ago. <laughs> I have to do timelines like that. Um, the state kind of looked at our criminal sexual conduct statutes mm. and they're like, oh yeah, these are bullshit. <laughs> they were written in 1975 and wow. basically maybe have had some updates here and there, but um, our governor decided to put together a working group. Uh, I will just say two years ago. And so basically what our job was is to go in and look at those and see what they needed and then suggest legislation change to better meet people's needs mm -hmm. and be a little bit more clear. So then we don't have these people that are like, well, no, daddy touched my cat cat. Well, we don't know what cat cat means because you're not oh, saying vagina. God. So like making that shit more clear. Mm -hmm. And so basically when we and it was everybody from so all different walks. Like we had prosecutors there and I was like, you sold it or no defense. I'm like, you sold yourself to the devil already. <laughs> I'm like, why are you here? And, um, but there were advocates and there were law enforcement and there were like just so underserved populations that are like, you know, Hey, yeah, we need to have a voice here because when it's 30% of people being trafficked are native American, let's talk about that. Like, what can we do? And so kind of, it, it was very interesting. And I felt at first I was very quiet because I was like, I don't think I'm smart enough to be here. Mm. You invited me. I get it. But was it because you felt bad? Like, why, why am I here talking with all these big people? And I was so worried. And one of the people were like, talk, say something. I was like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, I'm the type of person that I will take a hundred pages of notes and I'm coming to the next meeting with a lot to say, even if it's not about what we're talking about today, but it was what we talked about last time. And now I've processed it. Mm. And now I want to tell you what I think. And so I started opening my mouth and I was like, it was so scary because I was like me, um, talking to all these, I thought big, important people, but apparently I was just as big and important as they were, which is why I was sitting at that table. And um, we dumped pretty much everything and rewrote and sentencing guidelines. And like there were so many different components into this working group that it was crazy. And so it went it went in for legislation in February. And that's right around the time where that case of the woman who was sexually assaulted, she was kicked out of a bar because she was intoxicated. Her perpetrator found her on the street and raped her and it went to the Supreme Court. The, the where she was behind the dumpster, mm -hmm. like you dragged her. Yeah, uh -huh. yep, yep, yep. So he is saying, and so the Supreme Court ordered a new trial, that, that right? kid's out of jail then. Right, yep. So he, um, <clears throat> they have to do a retrial because what happened was, is he's saying, well, I didn't provide her the alcohol. So it can't be rape. It can't be rape. I just had sex with someone beside the dumpster. It's not rape. What was it? Brock? Um... Turner. Yeah, there we go. I freaking hate him. Well, of course. Okay, I did say that I don't have hate, though. 
but I hate some people. Okay. I don't like to hold hate in my heart because it's too much energy for me, but yeah, I don't like him. I should say. So Kim brought this up the other day about how like, um, you, you shouldn't wish like death on people. Mm -hmm. But what about their penis falling off? What about their penis falling off? But whatever my thing, everybody is going to die at some point. I just oh, would... that's a really good way to think. I love that actually. <laughs> You're gonna die anyways. Why can't it be now? Yeah, why can't I be around for right? It? Yeah, please. <laughs> and if I happen to if I oh, Handmaid's Tale, if I happen to go season finale Handmaid's Tale on you, <laughs> this season finale, by the way, um you were gonna die. That's I really like the way. I've never thought of it that way, but that's really yeah. Yeah. So if you don't, and that's just, I mean, have whatever feelings you have towards right. anybody. Who gives a shit? As long as you're not going out and trying to murder them, mm-hmm. you're allowed to feel whatever the fuck right. you want. And, you know, and I've always been big on holding hate in my heart hurts more, hurts me more than it's going to hurt. They don't fucking care if I hate them. Well, that's, and I don't like to carry that with me. That's too much baggage. Yeah, it's 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 either unprocessed trauma, unprocessed um, something, mm-hmm. and so it's. And they yeah, don't give two shits like about that. Really hold on to that yeah. stuff. There's more to it than just right. That. Right. I know there are so many. We could throw out how many different cases. It's these people that think I can take whatever I want. Mm. They're the sickos. They're the they're the gross ones. Like I don't understand how the hell people think that having raping somebody who's unconscious, mm. who cannot say yes, this feels amazing, which it should. And this is what I talk with a lot of people about now, is because I'm very sex positive. Mm-hmm. I am very much so. Um, if you say you don't masturbate, quit lying to me because if, or if you don't do it because you need to know how your body works. I tell my boys, mom, my penis is standing up. Okay. Well, here are your options. You know, maybe you should go spend some time by yourself. You know, like it was so like a lot of times because I work primarily with women. Um, a lot of times we do start talking about sex and some people are like, don't talk about that. We don't talk about sex. I'm like, uh, we should be talking about sex with everyone. Mm-hmm. You should, that should not be a taboo thing to talk about because if you don't talk about it, are then you, are you talking about, you talk to everyone, survivors, anyone, oh, anybody, anybody, anyone who gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. is willing to listen to me, just babble. I will talk about any, like, because I think that's very important to not make it taboo because again, after I was 21 and I wanted to talk about it with somebody it was like, shh, nobody wants to hear that. We don't, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. So here's a forewarning. So when I, when parents say, well, how do you talk about sex with your children? Do you say good touch, bad touch? And I said, no, we do not say that anymore because sometimes that bad touch feels good. And it's really confusing then when sure. we say, but that felt good. So why is it bad touch? So that's kind of the impression that I got. So I got caught masturbating and it was like, no, we don't do, you know, that's not something we do. And I was like, okay, so this is bad, but it felt good. So I have to hide and do this and nobody can tell me like, yes. so I'm like, nope, we don't hold shame around that. Like, I'm not joking. So when I found out I was having boys, I cried because I grew up with sisters 
both my sisters had girls. So I was like, shit, yeah, I'm having girls. Like oh. this baby is a girl. <laughs> and so when they're like, no, it has a penis. I was like, I don't know what to do with those. <laughs> I have no clue what to do with a penis. And so, and I'm sorry, this is a stereotype and forgive me for saying with boys, what I have grown to find, it's all about the penis. Mm. My boys all about the penis and it might not be all boys but my three boys that live in my house that's what it's all about is the first time my oldest his diaper was off and he touched his penis he giggled I was like did that really just happen and then he has not let go since we have to sometimes tell him buddy hand out of your pants both of them. no okay my husband probably won't appreciate this. All three of my boys. I'm like, okay, guys, company's coming. Hand check. Go wash them. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, but for me, I'm like, it's not a shameful thing. Like, some people that have come into my house and have seen that, they're like, that's disgusting. What are you doing? And I'm like, do not put that on my children. It is perfectly fine for them to touch themselves. However, let's teach them where, like, how about you go to the bathroom? Or like, I'm not shaming you. I'm not going to say don't do it. But if there's company over, maybe just don't put your hands in your pants. You're welcome for having ADHD. <laughs> I, you know, I, I sometimes will have like this nice organized and then it like in between it says stay on fucking track, stay on fucking track. Because well, there's so much to unpack. <clears throat> yes, and I was exactly. like, how much time do you actually have when we started talking about this? Because I was like, I could go on forever or I could be done in two seconds because I've kind of had when I've shared my story, because another part of my advocacy was working with perpetrators and their families um, with, through a treatment program. And so I would go in and share my story with both the perpetrators. And then typically if they're, if they were under 18, the parents would also hear my story. And um, I got one of the toughest questions and I'm spacing it right now. If it was like, Oh, so I got done sharing my story and I was like, we're open for questions. If you would like to ask us anything, she goes, was it really rape if it was above your clothing? And I was like, oh yeah, your son's been here for two years. I remember you. And so I did that for a couple of years and, um, I was like, that's why your son hasn't graduated from this program because you're still making excuses for him and his behavior. And instead of acknowledging what he's done is wrong, you're saying because he fondled somebody above their clothing, he's okay. Cause it's not sexual assault then. Wow. So, you know, and I did, I was super scared when I scheduled my first, um, session to go in and talk to perpetrators because I was like oh my god they're going to be these monsters they're going to be climbing all over the place and I don't you know and I'm like wow you're people too yeah <laughs> you're kind of like you look like me maybe. I had no idea that there was even because in like my that. head like there are these evil monsters that are like hanging from the ceiling because that's how I viewed it yeah that's how I viewed the people that took advantage of me in my life and but I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then, you know, I started with the adolescent groups and then they asked me if I wanted to do my first adult group. And I was like, no, mm -mm. I don't think I can. I'm like, I'm, I'm no. And they're like, well, you know, we, we would really encourage, you know, whatever. And my first adult group, a lot of the adults would ask, did you forgive? Mm. 
And I was like, you know, that is kind of a really tough question to ask a survivor. I said, could I imagine my life without trauma? Where would I, I'm like, I'm not even go down that rabbit hole and say, where would I be? What would I be doing? What, mm-hmm. what would my life be like? I said, what I'm going to tell you right now, let me say it all before you take it in. I am grateful for where I am in life. I have an amazing business. I work with amazing people. My life is very full. Now, that does not excuse people and say, go rape everyone because your your victim is going to be grateful that you (laughs) raped her. I said, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm grateful that I was able to take a shit-ass situation and turn it into helping. I want my life has always, anything in my life, having a disability, having anything in my life, if my life can help somebody else, it served its purpose ever. Yeah. I will always feel that way. If you can learn something from my stupid ass decisions because I have autism and don't get social cues sometimes. Great. Thank you. Then I've lived my worth. I mean that Kim and I say that all the time. Like uh, it, I'm not, I don't like revel in the shit Mm -hmm. that I've been through. But it, it's also part of processing mm-hmm. when you're able to give so, like solace or some type of advice because of the things that you've mm-hmm. been through. It's a healing process for you, too. Right. So it's not like we, we're now these like superheroes or something. Right. We just unfortunately have been through the shit. Mm-hmm. And if what we've been through can help you then that I feel like that helps us too. Right. And that's when I started sharing, like I was so afraid to share my story for the first time because I was like, what are people going to think about me? Mm. I'm going to share things that people are going to go, what the are you talking about? And, but how it felt for me to share my story, I was like, I gave a piece of that away. I gave a little piece of that trauma oh. and I put it out there and it's no longer with me. And that's kind of how I viewed it every time I shared my story is I felt a little bit lighter each time. I felt a little bit lighter each time. And then like the response too is like, of course, people are like, oh, well, you're like, I'm an angel because I'm a special ed teacher. I'm an angel because I'm a survivor. Nope. No, don't. I'm not special. I'm really not special. I am average. I may be smarter than some because I have (laughs) autism, but I know there's nothing special about me. By the way, I have some Rubik's cubes here. No, (laughs) I am not that special. That's for sure. (laughs) No way. Yeah. No, it's, you know, and like, it's so funny because after being with Break the Silence at events, people come up and be like, oh my God, Sarah. It's so nice to meet you. This is like, you are such a, and I'm like, are, are you talking about Sarah Super? Because that's not, I'm just Sarah Colford. Like, that's all I, like, I'm, I'm just the regular Sarah. That's the one who started everything. And they're like, no, I I watched this or I did this. And I came to this event and they're like, I'm just so like awestruck meeting you. And I was like, um, I hope I didn't disappoint because I'm just me. Like I, But I was like, I'm really glad that whatever I said or did in that moment helped you. And I'm really glad that you 
are excited to meet me and then I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> because that's social awkwardness. Well, and <laughs> you know? Isn't that funny? Because like in the back of your head, I don't know if you do this, but like when I was doing stand up or, you know, something with the, the podcast um, or it, when Kim and I would like share our stuff um, in the, when somebody says that type of compliment and you go, I'm wearing socks with Crocs right now. Yeah. I watch anime when I go home. Yeah. Like all of these really normal, like you go home, you still have a business. You right? still have kids to take care of. I know. I'm not There's rich. all of these like normal things that go through mm-hmm. your head where you're like, we're the I know. same. In the back of my head, the song is always, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Even though I'm not doing, I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. But then I'm like, am I dancing right now? I should not be dancing when they're having this serious conversation. Like the internal conversation, nobody wants to hear that. Like that goes on because I'm like, I always am thinking and I'm like, wait, don't share that. Oh, wait, you just share that. Oh my God. Like that's going on up there all the time. Or like, why the fuck did you share that with them? Like, why did you just say that? And I'm like, oh shit. And then I try to like compensate for that and then sometimes I just end up going okay and I walk away because I don't know how to end conversations social awkwardness (laughs) and like I wish I could just be like sorry Asperger's and then walk away and I feel like sometimes I can probably do that and sometimes people are like "Eh, I'm just gonna real (laughs) you know like well isn't I I think that's interesting too um because I I mean I've I've done interviews and and Mm -hmm. You know, um, pot, so podcasting for about three years, I did photojournalism for three or four years. So I'm used to like, f- like seeing where the, it's going to dip down. And so mm-hmm. where am I going to come in and, and that stuff? But like first meetings, seeing people and that you can tell when somebody's going on because they're going, okay, I'm ramping up because you're going to connect with something and go, oh, and then I'm going to let you go. And like, there's this like volley back and forth where they're like, I'm just going to keep going more information and then you're going to connect with something. And then it's now it's your turn. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't talk. I don't converse well. Like I'm, I try my hardest. And sometimes like I would say that I like a hundred percent extrovert, a hundred percent. But now that I'm older, I'm like, don't talk to me like especially when I'm cleaning and people are like I'm like um I have a headset in do you not Uh. (laughs) that is your social cue you don't understand them either (laughs) cool but that means I don't want to fucking talk to you (laughs) like I muted your call because I don't want to talk to you (laughs) like I you know and I don't you can't tell somebody that oh hello yeah nope I didn't answer your phone call because I didn't want to talk to you because I had enough today. I peopled too much. People too much. Oh my god. I love that. Oh my and sometimes when my kids want me to people with them, I'm like, <laughs> dudes, do you know how much peopling I've done today? Like that is not so if you ever hear my kids say they've peopled too much or I'm not peopling with you, you can just say thank you. Or you you're welcome maybe in advance because the yeah, I totally I'm like, yep, nope, I've peopled. Like you're good. I mean, I well, I'm obviously gonna have to have you back on oh, for, uh, for more stuff because this good. is I would love to so much fun. So, uh, break the silence. 
that yes so if anybody needs information about break the silence you can find um break the silence day is actually and i can send you links i don't know if you do that um but there there is a facebook page that's public that kind of explain like you can see the stuff that we've done we'll share stories or whatever um there is a private survivor community that is on facebook and um that it nobody can see that you're in it nobody can see that you post in it and it's something that um we would have to someone that you're friends with that is a part of that group would have to add you to if you listen to this podcast and it brings anything out and you don't know where to go um, I always tell people rain.org has a text line. Mm. Rain is our national, it's R-A-I-N-N.org. And then there's a phone number that you can text to. Um, they can also help you find your local um, sexual assault center that would be in your area because it's all broken up. Like the one that I worked at in St. Cloud was Benton Wright, Sherburn, Benton Ranch, Stearns County. So there's four counties that we worked with. Um, so that is our national level. That's a great resource. Mincasa is the Minnesota state level um, advocacy program and that kind of oversees all of the smaller advocacy programs okay. throughout Minnesota. So if you need to talk to anybody and you don't know who, where to go, start at rain.org. They can help guide you to your local if you need to talk to somebody. Um, they can, you can look at Break the Silence. You can look at the link that you, I'll share with you. Um, there is help out there. That's that's one of the biggest things I I want everyone to understand. No matter how long it's been, there is somebody that can help you work through a situation. It is not, it does not define you release that shame and blame that is one and that is when when we talked earlier about um about why people don't report yeah is shame and blame it is so easy as a survivor myself to blame and shame the hell out of myself that's just me now all the other people that shame and blame me when i report or break my silence it's not a beautiful thing. No. I mean, my perpetrator told me that I called rape on five other guys. So I'm just a slut. Yep. And, you know, <clears throat> so release that shame and blame. That's if I had any advice to give to anybody is don't stay there because it is so. It's hard. It's easy. It's easy and hard at the same time. Yeah. It's hard on you. It's easy to do. Um, but release it. And start by believing. So anybody that may not be a survivor that might be listening to this and saying, what can I do? Talk to people. Don't let that stuff be taboo. Don't keep the silence. And believe. That's fantastic. Did you say that there was... (gasps) My statements. Yes. Yes. So at the end, when somebody breaks their silence at a truth-telling event, we say, you are strong. You are courageous. You are inspiring. I stand with you. It's freaking <laughs> awesome. Sarah, thank you again so much. Yeah, really appreciate absolutely. it. No, I was, I, <laughs> I, I was like, I kind of, you know, kind of that star quality. I was like, I get to do a podcast. And they're like, <laughs> with who? And I was like, oh, someone you, someone I went to high school with. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know. Like I said, he's doing this new series. And, you know, I was like, it's awesome because you know, not a lot 
<clears throat> we look at all the bad things. We sometimes yeah. focus on all these bad things and focus on the good. And what can we do? What have we done? Where do we need to go? You know, there's still a lot around sexual violence that we have a lot of work to do. I, what I will say is some more statistics because that's my brain. <clears throat> when I joined the effort, um, we were at a 16% report rate. 16%. 16. Nobody's talking about it. That's why I was told nobody wants to hear about it because nobody's talking about it. Right. Today, we currently sit at 43. Wow. But still, God. It, it, that's not even 50% <laughs> of sexual assaults are being reported, right? To see that huge of a leap, but it's still like, okay, we need to do better. Like, we need to keep going. And that's where the advocacy sometimes gets exhausting because it's like, you know, what more can I do? And then... I have to light that fire under my ass because I have to keep passionate about it. I can't give up because this is never going to go away. Yeah. And <clears throat> I will say when like my nieces turned five or my kids turned five, that was so hard. It was so hard because I was like this, I would die. So then feeling that way about my nieces or my kids, I'm like, how did my parents feel? <laughs> yeah. But I was like, if anybody, so, you know, yeah, talk, talk to your kids, talk to your nieces and nephews, talk to your friends, make sure somebody's talking to them. And if they don't know how to say it, you don't know how to say it, contact somebody that can help you. Cause there's always, always somebody at the centers in your local area that would be able to help you come up with the right words to say, or contact me because you know what? I am passionate about teaching our kids healthy relationships so yeah. they don't have to endure what I went through and what I felt about it. Yeah. Well, and one of my favorite sayings is uh, the um, women don't have a modesty problem. Men have a rape problem. Right. Because the victims should not be the problem. It's right. the perpetrators that should be the problem. It's funny that you say that. <laughs> when, when the officer showed up when I was 21... He's like, what were you wearing? I said, pajamas. No, like, what were you wearing that night? Clothes. Can I see the outfit that you were wearing? Why the fuck does it matter what I was wearing? Yeah. There, there is a chant that we do when we, like, raise our voices and do marching and stuff. And yes means yes, no means no, however I dress, wherever I go. Like, oh. we should not have to say, oh, well, you're wearing shorts. So does that mean I get to rape you? Should Somebody should make like a Dr. Seuss right? style book. <laughs> I know. And I was like, do people really think that how I dress means that you can rape me? Like. Yeah. What happens when I'm wearing a swimsuit? Then does that mean you can rape me then? Or because I'm wearing a swimsuit in like a swimming, then that's off limits. Like, I don't know those rules. Again, autism. Give me the rules so I understand yeah. when can I be raped and when can I not? Oh, wow. Right? When is it okay for you to rape me and when is it not? Let's talk about that. Yeah. That's another one, though. That's yeah. way beyond. Okay. So, well, <sighs> again, this oh my has goodness. been fantastic. Thank you it so much. It is almost three o'clock. <laughs> Holy man. It's a good conversation. Yeah. I knew it was going to be a good one. Well, thank you for listening to me for that long. <laughs> so make sure uh, all the links will be in the description. Um, thank you again for listening. Boom and Island Park, Minneapolis. Yes, Boom Island Park. 
Minneapolis. All right, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary Wentelman. I couldn't make a rhyme, so just (laughs) (laughs) however you identify, be well. Thank you. Thank you.